right, and welcome to the Dicer Screaming Podcast, brought to you live oh. from the Patton household. <gasps> well, as live as it gets, and that's a lot of screaming, wow. <laughs> the Dice have a lot to scream about today. Well, no, no, they do, they do, actually. We, we've got, uh, this is Topic Tuesday, so we're probably going to be throwing down with something that uh, I, I think is going to resonate with a lot of gamers who have... Uh, experienced exactly this thing. We're, that the kimono isn't open yet. It's still, still tied shut. Uh, well, and well for that. <laughs> but first, a shout out. I wanted to throw a shout out uh, to my nephew Henry. Uh, hey, it's good to, good to hear from you guys on Facebook. Glad you're enjoying the podcast. Uh, they, they dwell in the mythical land of Florida, which inexplicably greatly resembles the magical land of Xanth in Piers Anthony's novels. Nobody knows why. Or, I was going to say <laughs> Venus. Ooh, alright. You know. Venus. Yeah. A mythical Venus of old Edgar Rice Burroughs. Oh, yeah. A little jungle-like. Very humid, very jungle-like, and ripe with reptilian predators. <laughs> so... Most of whom work in carnivals. So. Mm. Sure. Well, uh, I was more referring to the crocodiles, but uh, in pythons down there. But uh, yeah, hey. Uh, so, well, welcome to our topic Tuesday. Uh, it's a new format we're trying out here. We definitely had fun doing the origins. And, yeah, that, uh, was a, that was a fun little ramble, just to to you know talk about how it all stumbled together by accident. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a bit of reminiscing, and of course, we had a lot of fun uh, just talking about uh, the good old days, but uh, here at the Dice of Screaming, we're ever moving forward. Uh, we were going to do uh, Rise of the Rune Lords tonight, but uh, just things aren't working out, so we're bringing you a fresh new topic just right off the top of the head. I'm going to confess, it's 90% that I did not bring my reading glasses. Oh, well, you so, know. <laughs> and uh, for material-heavy, you know, uh, topics... Uh, I prefer to actually have those so that I can stay on point and reference key bits of material, uh, which at the moment I cannot do. Uh, and, and hey, you know, not the worst thing that could happen. I'm just incredibly farsighted, so if only the information were written on the building next door, I, I could probably read it, but uh, at the moment, no, not so much. And right, and so also uh, co-hosting with us is my cat, Sassy, and my dog, Raven. So <laughs> the other two reprobate cats that inhabit this uh, ecosphere are, are paying sleeping. Us, they're paying us no mind today. There's their sleep. So Sassy is well interested in what's going on. So uh, without further ado, we're going to get into some business and then get back right into the topic. So hopefully you'll stick around for that. And, well, it's Tuesday, so hopefully your week's going good. So uh, we'll be right back after these messages, so hang with. And welcome back, and again, thanks to our excellent host, Anchor FM, for giving us the ability to use the podcasting tools to make this easy and fun, and hopefully fun for you guys, too. So I uh, also shout out to Henry, yeah, uh, Henry Hanna, wherever you are. Thanks for listening, man. Hammer and Hank Hanna. That's right. So, uh, without further ado, into the topic we go. Yeah, and well, I mean, and you can expect no less from the USDA non-prime choice beef of gaming podcasts. Yeah, what, what is up with that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, there's the stuff that goes to the nice restaurants, 
we're what's left. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of the cow of gaming podcasts. So uh, tonight we're going to talk about solo gaming and small group gaming. Now, for a lot of DMs out there, this should be seem like seem like a no-brainer, and it is. It is pretty uh, intuitive that you can game with one person or two. Or me, you know, with uh, a third player. But uh, once you get beyond third player, you're actually running a real game. So, yeah. But, you know, one or two players is what we're, uh, we're going to focus on. So, solo gaming, small groups. Yeah. It, which, it, it really struck me as an interesting topic when we were doing our, our you know, periodic topic hunts where we, we pick apart, you know, like, you think this is a, a strong one to lead with, you know, or not. This really hit me because so many of our podcasts, we reference games with five, six, eight, and in a few cases, uh, 12 players. Uh, these huge spectacles where you're orchestrating the actions of a very large number of people. But solo and small gaming has also been a part of gaming for us, and it's a facet of gaming for a lot of people, and I, I don't think we've given it enough of an examination in the past. Well, I don't think it's as big as with other people. Um, I think it's pretty much an ab- abnormality with a lot of people. Like, they have to do it. And here's in presence where you don't have the ability to meet up with a large group, or your group's going to have a smaller showing for a while. What do you do? And uh, I think that when people do solo gaming, that's a good way to introduce players who may not have a full grasp of what the rules are about or what the requirements are to get into gaming, first of all, you know, newbie players, it's probably best to take a small group with some NPCs. But we're going to discuss the night tonight what the pros and cons are and how you do it. Because it seems like a no-brainer. Yeah, you can just run a scenario, but there's a lot that goes into solo and small group gaming than there is with large group gaming or normal size. And, you know, my preferred group is no more than six people. I don't, I have games for hire, but I probably... If I have the ability to say no, I will not game for more than, at the most, seven people. I am still flexible on the topic. You know, I'm, I'm willing to undertake the challenge of extremely large games. <laughs> challenge mode accepted. Yeah, you know, but it's it's not by preference. I, I gotta say, a half a dozen people is just about the right mix. Now... On the other hand, when I was on a gaming hiatus, uh, living up in Lansing, I came out of that hiatus starting with a pickup game with a friend from work. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Uh, Dan Wiley, uh, if you're listening, hey, shout out. Uh, here's to that butt-kicking ranger you ran. Uh, now, I had been out of the saddle for a long period of time as a DM, and I really needed to get my chops back. I just was like, oh, well, cool. There's somebody at work who's into the same stuff. Well, that several months of solo gaming ultimately transformed into campaign-level play with a handful of other people from work and people they knew. And after a while, there were six and eight people gathered around my kitchen mm-hmm. uh, on Sunday nights, which it was just a full-scale game that emerge out of a solo game yeah and some games lend themselves to solo gaming better than others so first thing you have to do is if you're going to have a solo game like mike said is that is the ideal scenario starting off with one 
player and then picking up more and incorporating them as time goes on. But what do you do in the meantime? Um, what you need to do is pick your system. Now, in Mike's case, he po- uh, picked up uh, D&D, and it was second edition at the time, but that really doesn't matter. It's Correct. still D&D. Um, you had, uh, with D&D, allows you a greater flexibility in how you can scale and adjust than some other games. But uh, I personally like, uh, for solo gaming, I personally like Call of Cthulhu because it is short, and to the point, usually uh, there's death afterwards, so you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> Continuing campaign, you kill a player character off. They just go insane and wake up in an asylum in a straitjacket, and you know uh, that's how it ends. But no, uh, seriously, I think Call of Cthulhu lends itself well because isolation is a part of horror and uh, getting that across that there is no backup. But yeah, you can scare the pants off of one player easier than you can with six, because you know with six the cockiness vibe creeps up with. You gamers, like, oh, no, no, no. There's like six of us, and we're heavily armed. We, we went out, we got all the, the best stuff. We are totally going to kick this thing's butt. Ah, Call of Cthulhu was great at debunking that notion. Oh, yeah, that's the part of the being the keeper that is so great. You can just sit there and just like, oh, yes, you, you let let them think that. Yep, just encourage that. Yep. You, go you guys it. are well-armed and prepared for this. Nothing can stand in your way, you right? You are so dangerous. No, uh, but in solo gaming... You definitely see players exercise greater caution. Uh, they're, you know, well aware that there's no backup or that there's very little that they can call on in the way of resources. So, totally different style of play. Right, which requires you uh, to think a little bit more as a DM beforehand. But we're going to discuss that in a bit. We'll touch back on that one. We want to talk about with more. The, one of the advantages is is that you have less scheduling conflicts. I mean, obviously, you and your time and one player coincide. Bing, bang, boom, you're ready to go. Yeah, this is not like uh, herding cats with a, an eight-person group where you're like, yeah, somebody can do Tuesdays and another person can't do Tuesdays, but they could do Wednesdays, and oh, nobody can do Thursday. But oh, finally, finally, there are 15 minutes uh, on a Saturday night. Uh, that mm-hmm. are uninterrupted. It's super easy to throw together a solo game when you've got just one and or two people to sync up with. Huge advantage. Yeah, and the other advantage is, is when they do come with their character, it gives you more time to role play and explore. They can take their time. They're not you know having to share the time in the spotlight with other people. Yeah, if you're hurting eight people through a dungeon, you have to, as a DM... Give everybody a chance to shine, which is really hard to do while you're shuffling that many people's options uh, while they make decisions and their characters take actions and then you describe the outcomes. Uh, It's very little personal time per player. Solo gaming, where there's just one or two players, you can have a shorter session. You don't even have to commit to like, okay, if we can block off eight hours here, we can get this done. No. No, you can have a two- or three-hour session, and if you start quick and jump right on it, you can actually get an awful lot done that would be impossible with a larger group. Uh, so, yeah, huge kudos to that notion. Yeah, and with that comes one of the problems of solo gaming. is like not only have you selected the system, but now you have the scheduling out of the way and you have the time to sit down and play. You can devote more time to that player, and it's a more intimate and or cozier type of environment where they feel like they can take their time and do things the way that they want to. The problem is, 
is that you have now as a DM a little bit more responsibility in providing them the chances for success. Now, most adventures, if you're going to use a pre-prepared one, um, will require you to adjust fully the encounters because the encounters assume a relatively standard size of whatever system that it is that um, in the encounter tables and also the encounters inside the adventure arena or area yeah, most of them are meant for four, five, or six players. Uh, that, you know, that has been the long-going standard mm-hmm. uh, for most games, is that it was a small table full of people, four to six players, is about the ideal. And because most of the published material was aimed at four to six people, this this is the part that takes a little work on the part of DMs. You're, you're going to have to start scaling things back. Uh, you're yep. going to have to think about what characters in the system the players chose. What are the abilities of those characters? What are the limitations? Uh, if you're in a fantasy setting and nobody of the one or two people there is a magic user, uh, how do you, you know, do you insert an NPC that may be of use? And or, yeah, I think that is the thing that uh, we should talk about next is the or NPC. remove obstacles that could only be dealt with through magic. Or a, a thief is a good example right there. You know, if there's a lot of traps, you know, and the person's playing a fighter, you know, obviously having a lot of traps aren't there. So using a prepared scenario in that case, besides the scaling the encounters that are assumed to have the standard party uh, number, are going to be a little bit more difficult than, well, you know, you're meeting three ogres, and the party level is average of six, and it anticipates, you know, four or five in characters, well, obviously three ogres are going to annihilate one character with a couple of NPCs, so. Yeah. So then, you know, you have to adjust. Now, uh, we'll discuss that again in its time, but I think that at this point we need to discuss the NPC insertion. And as you were saying, that there are certain encounters that you might not be able to play out, even if you're handwriting the scenario, like you would have to avoid traps if you're playing with a typical fighter as the main character. And again, it doesn't have to be unrealistically safe uh, per se. You can still include traps but the severity of them, uh, since they're not very likely to be spotted and they're not likely to be disarmed you could adjust downwards by just bringing the severity down a notch. Like that that poisonous gas does not death save. Okay, not, This is not going to be you know one puff of this and you're out like cyanide. Mm. Uh, it can be something more like it nauseates you and costs a couple of strength points for the next six hours, you know, that that kind of thing. Uh, bringing the danger level of traps down a notch, uh, the total amount of damage done by falling down a pit trap, scale it back a little. Uh, you know, instead of die sixes for damage, uh, or if it was originally a 30-foot pit full of spikes at the bottom... Just make it a 10-footer and you land in a pile of junk. Right. That's uh, assuming that if you're just going to go full uh, ham and just let the one person go through. But I, in my solo gaming, I prefer to let them kind of do the old school style, which is let them uh, pony up with uh, retainers and henchmen. Also handy. Uh, and the NPC letting topic. them run some of their henchmen. And it also allows you as a DM to have some time to kind of play across the screen with them. Yeah, if, if they know they're going on an adventure and they're, they're going to be lacking help, you know, they put up the wanted ad and hire their own crew. Uh, and they're running the team. You know, they're, they're the basically the adventurer is 
the captain of like hired expedition force. Uh, and then it's like you're managing your crew as you enter the dungeon. Yep. It can be an interesting alternative experience. And those NPCs are critical to not having to cut all the meat and potatoes out of a dungeon. Uh, which would, I personally think, diminish some of the enjoyment. Yeah. And it allows you, yeah, exactly, to kind of have all the experience of a normal game. You still have kind of a group mentality with, you know, the DM running having an additional task of kind of running the personalities of the NPCs, but that's not so uh, bad when you consider that you're also a little freer and looser with the rules about encounters, scaling, and treasure. Because you're really only having to deal with one player, and you know what their wants and desires are. Their backgrounds get to be explored and more prevalent in this type of environment, as well as exploring is done on their terms rather than having to compromise with a group of people who sometimes have, well, as players do, they all have different ideas of how to approach a very scenario. So it does allow you to take that focused time uh, and use it constructively to one player rather than having to kind of, you know, ask what, well, what should we do next, folks? And, you know, toss it around a few uh, minutes before going in. Now it's pretty much, well, we're going to do this. And so that player then becomes a little bit more empowered to take the lead and make the decisions that will lead into what the adventure is and determine on their own, which, again, opens up the door for more freeform role-playing. Yeah, and I, I want to give a real-time specific reference to an actual solo game uh, experience. Uh, when I was in Lansing, uh, the most of the henchmen were met along the way. Uh, there were precursor adventures that allowed opportunities to meet various individuals. And so the cast of characters added to the NPC roster to round out this solo campaign uh, and provide some flexibility for the material I was throwing at people uh, really shuffled. Okay, it, it, The dynamic really changed as these characters... Uh, got added to the party, including the, the archetypal cheerful halfling rogue uh, with mind-shattering, you know, dexterity. Um, <laughs> very high, uh, using the second edition kind of kits thing. Uh, their real strong suits were lock-picking, uh, trap-busting, and pickpocketing. So, you know, good <laughs> classic sneak thief. Uh, and some great roles led to a particular encounter where I described a group of drunken sailors. The party had, like, just escaped from a dungeon, had almost nothing to their name except, you know, rags and sharp sticks and stuff like that. Uh, and they send the halfling rogue out to steal them some gear. The halfling encounters a group of drunken sailors. The player rolls a amazing series of rolls, just like, you know, 03, 04, 05 on the, the pickpocketing. So I described it as basically like the halfling moves through the shadows as these guys are wandering drunken down an alley. And in a frenzied display of distraction and artistry, uh, confuses them, lifts items off of them, and as they keep looking around to see what's going on, he's always out of the periphery of their vision, just snatching yet another thing off of them, until three drunken sailors are inexplicably 
naked in an alleyway, wondering what the heck just happened, while the halfling is wandering away with just a pile of stuff. Uh, and there were some good laughs on that one, but one by one, the NPCs were met through play. And that was the, the linchpin point, is that part of the adventure was not the defeat of monsters in this lowered, you know, number of players campaign. Uh, sometimes it was navigating social circumstances, uh, acquiring allies, uh, building, you know, networks of uh, resources and communications and, you know, developing a reputation in an area and getting these tasks assigned to them. Uh, the challenges were not all necessarily heavy hitting. Okay, first campaign for you. 200 orcs. You know, no. <laughs> Some of the initial challenges and the things that merited experience points were different kinds of tasks. Things that were not necessarily lethal or required uh, combating, you know, an entire nest full of monsters. Now, Obviously, that came later once the NPCs were in play and the, the character had built up enough, you know, core strength to go after big targets. But, you know, just a, just a thought for other DMs doing solo play. There are other ways to measure success and navigate encounters other than just, you got to go in a dungeon, dude. Right, and a lot of people do uh, use different formats in solo gaming that are successful. A lot of Another big thing of solo gaming is making sure that when you have that kind of one-on-one -on -one or, you know, just two players, that you have scenarios that engage them properly. And so it's a lot easier to figure those out because they can tell you rather than, you know, four or five players trying to each one communicate their desires. I want to go be a pirate. Another one says, you know, I'm going to study and become the wizard of the White Tower. And Well, yeah, that's those are all great things. But now you can take the player who wants to be the wizard of the White Tower and run him through a a series of adventures with retainers and helpers to get them through the part hard parts of being a character mostly armed with a dagger and a few spells and no real armor class to speak of and die for for hit points to a character that actually is uh, capable of casting fireballs and lightning bolts so <laughs> you know getting them through that hard part is probably the easiest with a character who wants to delve into their own backstory in a solo campaign. And it's fun to play when you have spare time or the ability to spend with a, a friend or two that want to do those small kind of limited scope adventures, which that is the big part we're talking about here is what time you have. Now, sometimes a solo gaming also comes down to that. We don't have the time for the full group to get together. So for a while, we're going to be uh, short shift. So what do we do? Well, we play a game that's uh, a little different with uh, some different things, but you know, again, you're playing with a small group still, like three, four players. It's still pretty, um, you know, tight, but you still have your options open for you. Solo gaming, what we're talking about here is pretty much, you know, just one or two people. So, yeah, it, it, when you get about three, I, I really don't think you're solo gaming. You're just uh, you're on a small group. Yeah, if you've got three players, you can hopefully one would would expect that uh, they might be willing to bend a little on character concept and say, oh, okay, all right, I'll, I'll be the cleric, you know, or, or uh, I'll pick up the mage tasks this time. Yeah, uh, sure. Uh, that kind of cooperation and a variety of skills gives the DM a much wider array of options. Uh, 
But solo gaming, I mean, you really only got, you know, one and or two players, tops. And you'll find yourself cornered where you're like, oh, man, you know, I, if I throw this at them, and this is a mistake that we have made, you know, personally in the past, if you if you roll the clock back 30 years, uh, attempting solo games, sometimes these oversights happened where, you know, like somebody might drop into a pit trap with some bone snappers and, you know, happen to be savaged to within an inch of their lives by an encounter I thought would be like a cakewalk. I, I thought it was going to be the vorpal blade went snicker snack and, you know, this is over. No, it did not go down like that. So, you know, this, this is how we learned to give a little attention beforehand. Like, what is the likely outcome? You know, what, what is the relative strength of the, the player versus the relative strength of the encounter? And now that they have encounter ratings uh, and a system for scaling encounters up and down, at least in D&D, uh, it is a much friendlier thing in D&D and Pathfinder to adjust accordingly. Yeah, they still kind of say that, uh, you know, the encounters are rigged for the standard composition of a party, which is, you know, three, maybe four people. You know, you start putting two people with a challenge rating of equal to them, and, oh, you're going to see some difference. But, you yeah. know, hey, let the pucker factor be rated in there along with the challenge rating. Uh, it does come in, into play. The other thing is uh, having systems. Now, my solo gaming is... What I prefer is actually Stormbringer or occasionally RuneQuest because Stormbringer, well, how do we say it? Uh, it we'll have to give some time on that another time. But uh, Stormbringer has some unique abilities that uh, many other role-playing games don't because they try to focus primarily on the archetype of it was about Elric. And, and he had his buddy, Moonglum, uh, helping him out. And uh, yeah. Uh, what is it, uh, Smogian Baldhead, the uh, Merchant Prince? Oh, yeah, Smirigan. Smirigan, oh, yeah, yeah. Smirigan Baldhead uh, from the... Isle of the Purple Towns. The Isle of the Purple this Towns, This is a colorful yeah. place. Yeah, uh, but... In yeah, case, he had a, a helper that gave him nudges and, just, uh, you know, kind of moral conscience now and then. Yeah, a little point of reference to, you know, like, well, look, I mean, I know that's how they do it on the old Dragon Isle, but we're not on the Dragon Isle right now, so, yeah, you, so you might uh, want to walk it back. Walk uh, it back there, <laughs> um, uh, But Stormbringer, yeah, fair point. A lot of people go into it. The, the most fun thing to be is we've got to have a Malibanian, uh, you know, who is uh, out in human lands and wandering, uh, much like Elric was. So you don't necessarily have to play Elric, but uh, to run something similar. Yeah, well, of easy. course, you're not going to be playing Elric, but you like in our uh, days of the Halcyon days of lore long past, you played a, an assassin, Guy ah, Dubastera, yes. and uh, along with... Named him. from a character in a book by Raymond E. Feist, mm -hmm. uh, a fine author, uh, you know, who, who was... A, a guy who, well, a guy named Guy, uh, and he was often mistaken as the bad guy. He was not nearly as foul and as evil as people had imagined him to be. Uh, it was just that they were in opposition to him, and he had a very clear sense of purpose. Uh, and he was not taking no for an answer. So I, I drew the name from that. Yeah, um, but in 
uh, comparison, Stormbringer lent itself well to two players and occasionally one player when uh, only one would show up. So it was a lot easier to play out scenarios and plan accordingly. Instead of if both showed up, you know, instead of three Buccaneers, it was four. You know, just add that extra one just to make it tougher and so on and so on forth. But that was a system that allowed itself to be used for smaller scale play. It was much more direct. And, of course, it uses the uh, limb quest system, as I like to call it, the combat system of room quest, <laughs> where you know, limbs get hacked off routinely. So, Not you know, putting, um, putting a good character, well-armed and equipped against a bunch of uh, mid to near to do-wells that are not so well-equipped or armed made it a lot safer to throw multiples at the player. So when he chops a limb off, they're dying or laying on the ground. Combat, they're not in combat anymore. They may not be totally hit point dead, but they are out of combat dead. Yeah, it's, and it's more like thing. trail of bodies uh, and you, know, you just walk away. And that Mike had a dagger that, well... Maybe I should not have let it into the campaign as easily, but it seemed just as fine uh, yeah, after we... everything was done. Uh, dagger that did one die four, plus his strength bonus, and eight die six demonic damage. And it was called Greedy Gore and had to be fed souls regularly. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, did... yeah, it was, uh, it was a heck of a treat. Now, worth mentioning, I did not rely exclusively on the dagger. I tended to save it for special occasions, because if you're going to... Feed it, somebody. Uh, if it's gonna like literally eat a soul, I, I really kind of reserved it for total jerks. Uh, you know. Oh yeah. Well, it ate attribute points instead of souls. But yeah, the point yeah. was is that you had to give it somebody, or it would take from you. <laughs> thus the name. But yeah, so I, I couldn't leave it alone too long. But yeah, it was a kind of little miniature equivalent of the Stormbringer classic dilemma, which is, uh, it's gotta eat. Yep. And so that was a great way to kind of nullify that. And uh, having just one player occasionally, you, know, you could take on much greater uh, and more powerful opponents. But Precisely. Stormbringer being what it was at the time, and later Elric had the same thing. Uh, Elric with an exclamation point. Uh, it is a fine game for that kind of play. And, uh, you know, game balance, <laughs> what's that? Oh, yeah, we, we know nothing of such things. Uh, it was a fun game to play out, and it also kept... Uh, the players on toast because they knew that it was them versus the whole world. Now they did, of course, have allies and friends and in various places, and they had to look for those. But making quests and designing adventures for them was a breeze because I could listen to them. So that was so, yeah, my we experience. Got, uh, Stormbringer and Call of Cthulhu were good campaign settings to use for uh, solo campaigns. Um, big kudos to uh, the 3.5 era of Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder. Uh, and, of course, uh, later editions of D&D also can, can apply here. But uh, 3.5 and after, the encounter rating systems. Yeah, uh, the tools are there for DMs to uh, scale up and scale down with much greater ease. So those are good systems. Uh, now, yeah, you need some more NPCs. RuneQuest uh, has potential for it, I think. But yeah. it's a very dangerous game to play as a solo player. Yeah, you would need it's a, more Dungeons & Dragons gonna, type where they assume that there's going to be a large uh, group of people with you're different gonna need skills a and backgrounds. crew of NPCs for that one, and it is a system where the DM would have to put in a lot more work. Yeah, the, the NPCs and RuneQuest are a lot more complex. Um, another good one, and I just thought of this, and no, I we did curse me, uh, is Gamma Pen World. Gamma World can be ago. done as well, uh, but Pendragon. 
Oh my, yes, the Pendragon game. Um, because it does focus around knighthood and doing knightly things. Yes, so, and, you know, a you knight know, with just a bare minimum of henchpersons can, can travel the land and do good. Yep, uh, smite out the villainous brigands and the dark brooding forests and root out sorceress evils conjured forth by enchantresses and enchanters alike. So those are ones for good meat and drink of heroic proportions. So always look up those games. And yeah, uh, D&D uh, works very well. And as Gamma World, um, a little less so. You don't need as many characters with Gamma World. You can kind of, you know, beep up a really tough mutant or a uh, pure string human with some gear coming out of the vault. Yeah, and it's just a truth of old school Gamma World that in many respects, once your character was there, the only thing that really changed about them was the gear they were able to access. Mm -hmm. So this lends itself well to a smaller scale campaign where you, if you just have one or two players, um, you can toughen them up a, li a little bit and then feel like you've got an, e an open hand to release some of the more dangerous monsters. You know, they're, they're yeah. not completely out of the mix. No, they're not. Now, you, you may not want them wandering around with, like, like, I've got a baseball bat and an old stop sign for a shield. Uh, yeah, you need to kind of think about gear on that one. If you're going to play a pure string human, you're basically, you could go with the vault hunter mode. And, yeah. you know, you're out of, uh, you were, you've been in cryosleep for 300 years. And now, you, you, know, you and the armory mess. are here, you know. And some of the things work, some of the things don't. Figure it out. Yeah, and, you can nerf some of the most dangerous and powerful stuff and at least send them out into the world well-equipped. Uh, and remember, campaign writing in Gamma World, you can always, I mean, you could adjust Gamma World very easily. For yeah, the point. items used have charges and limited time in use, so they had to be recharged. So think about that. Yeah, very Vault Hunter-esque, long before the, the concept hit. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of merit there. So, you know, building your own campaign idea and shuffling a little bit. You could do solo play as, like, you know, Gamma World Vault Hunter. Oh, yeah. That would be a... Man, now I actually want well, to do like that. Well, like my Black Rider character, just, you know? Yeah, he was basically the prototype for that. A high-powered mutant, uh, ideal for solo play. Uh, but, you know. My favorite Game World character. Anyway, uh, now we would be remiss if we didn't talk about solo gaming in its purest form. Tunnels and Trolls was pretty much devoted to solo gaming. They published yeah. a lot of scenarios. But that's more one-on-one. -on -one. That's kind of you and also the Lone Wolf books and, and other things of you solo can gaming. borrow from that material to sure craft solo campaign ideas, including from the old D&D uh, &D Pick a Path adventures. You can harvest them. Uh, and since these were perfect examples of one lone character and maybe an ally, uh, you know, working to accomplish a goal... Uh, look at those. Uh, find inspiration from them. Look at the types of challenges that they face. Yeah, and that's exactly where we would like to end off, is that if you're really uh, looking for a solo game system, yes, Tunnels and Trolls is a fine one, because there's yeah. a lot of solo games out there. So I don't want to uh, oh, yeah, cut anybody's I, nose off who loves Tunnels and Trolls. Harvest I'm, that material, man. It's you well can use it. it. Well worth it, yeah. And... Uh, also, uh, mentioning uh, Talisman is another good one that lends itself uh, oh. to uh, small groups. So if you are at that 2-3 area, I would recommend uh, throwing out a game of Talisman because you'll never go wrong with Talisman. But hey, kudos. For I loved Talisman. That was a lot of fun. The writer of Talisman for bringing us this beautiful game. We will cover this in a future episode, I promise. So with that, we're 
winding down oh, yeah. in our time and are we wearing out our good welcome to your ears and your sanity. <laughs> we've, we've abused your hospitality long enough. Yeah, so uh, we're going to close down here, but uh, we want to let you know that if you liked what you heard, if you have any questions or comments and concerns, of course, let us know on Facebook, the Dice are Screaming page is always ready for your opinions to be put out there as well as getting hold of us on twitter at the usual haunts of death hand gaming and magi vox exactly so let us know what you liked what you didn't like and if always give a call in if uh, you have any ideas or you just want to comment on what we talked about but we hope you enjoyed so we're going to leave you with this last thought may, may the, the dice always roll in your favor. favor we're out see ya